0: All right, good morning, everyone. It is an honor to have Pastor Greg and Pastor Tommy. Uh, I was thinking during worship that these men are really my friends, they, and it's really uh, difficult to find friends, but I count these two men as confidants. I trust them. I know them. I know their families. I know the way they live, and I know the way they pastor. And uh, I'm so honored to have the two of you here. Uh, it means a, a great deal to me personally just to spend time with the two of you. I, I admire and respect the two of you more than you know. And, and lean in on your words, uh, not only when you speak to me, but when you speak to our nation, when you speak to other pastors. I listen to you. I, I uh, take your advice. I think you're a wise counsel. And so this morning, we're just super honored to have you. I mean, both of you. Greg, as you know, planted Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina in 1988. And uh, he and his family started it with just a handful of people. And Seacoast today is considered, it was uh, they were multi-site before multi-site was cool. And uh, they were, their story, I'll let him share some of that maybe later, but they, they really didn't mean to be multi-site. They were wanting to build buildings and just couldn't and decided that the best way to reach their city was in multiple locations. And they really were the forerunners uh, for the multi-site movement that we see around the world today. And uh, been it's now the president of the Association of Related Churches, of which we are a part of that. We support ARC and plant churches through ARC. They are planting, uh, what, 600 churches? Just past 600. just past 600. churches that they've planted in the United States. And uh, so grateful for that. Way to go, man. Wow. And of course, Pastor Tommy uh, is turning 79 years old this year, and and I still think he can run laps around me. I mean, I, I, he is this guy is the single most encouraging person I've ever been around in my life. I mean that he is the Barnabas of our of the American church, in my opinion. I mean that, and I, he uh, I'll tell I'll tell a story uh, that when I was with you one time, I was so discouraged. And I spoke at, the, at Angela's temple on a Thursday night and Pastor Tommy gets in the car with me and we're pulling out of the parking garage, going to dinner. And Pastor Tommy turns around and looks at me and says, Pastor Brady, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Now, it wasn't. You're kidding but, me. He, but he's the he way never,
1: he, he never told me that. I know. Actually, well, he did.
0: He said he probably told you it was the second best. But uh, <laughs> but Pastor Tommy has a way of looking you in the eye and imparting something that only a spiritual dad can impart. And I know that was you know he was being kind to me that night. But the way he says things. The way he looks you in the eye and says those things, it it it, it probably gave me another year of life, you know. And I just so so grateful for you. He uh, he and his uh, sons, uh, Luke, his son Luke is the pastor now of Phoenix First Assembly. His son Matthew, and uh, the two of them founded the Dream Centers in Los Angeles and in Phoenix. We're also we have Dream Centers here in our city, but we're inspired by a lot of the work that you're doing in Phoenix and Los Angeles. So guys, we're so grateful to have you. So welcome once again both these men, to our our conference. The reason I, when I was thinking about who to invite to the conference, the Lord gave me the two of you for a reason. Uh, You guys have recently gone through a pretty successful and significant transition in your church. The two of you were, in essence, the founding pastors of your church, and both of you just turned the churches over in the last few years to your sons who are now leading the day-to-day operations of the church. They're, in essence, the lead pastors of your churches. So there's two questions that I think all of us need to learn from today. I think there are two questions about that. One, and I'd like to hear from, from both of you, how did you know as men who, uh, Greg, you're, I think you're 60 now, right? And, and Tommy obviously is 79. How did you know it was time for you to hand the baton to your sons how did you know personally it was time for you to do that uh and then i'm going to ask you a question about your sons in just a moment but what went on in your heart spiritually physically emotionally when you knew it's time for me to make a transition how did you know for a fact that it was time
1: um first i want to say i i love you we have a bromance i, I just <laughs> love this guy and uh And Tommy, uh, I want to be like him when I grow up, I'm telling you what, he's a a man of faith and encouragement, and it really is an honor for me to be here. You know, it was was interesting, it was a little bit difficult, a little bit challenging for me. Um, I began to feel something, uh, you know, we do Vision Day every year, and it was getting harder and harder come up with the vision for the church. And I felt terrible about it, felt terrible. My parents instilled in me a work ethic and um, I actually have a friend who was a counselor and uh, I'd go talk to him, now we've hired him so I don't have to pay for counseling, But and that's truth, but Chip. And I, I said to him, I was crying one day, and I just said to him, Chip, I feel so guilty I said, God has called me to this wonderful church and it's an incredible church and I don't wake up every day thinking about it and it's hard for me to get the vision for the year here. And he said, congratulations. God is preparing you for your next, your next season. And, and here's, here's what I think and it, we talk a lot about it and I, I won't do it. I don't wanna dominate the conversation but um, regardless of where you are in your path, If you have a pulse, check that real quick. Do you guys got a pulse? If you have a pulse, God has a plan. And he has never finished with you. And uh, so anyway, there's a lot there. But for me, the beginning was, it was getting harder and harder to, what's the next mountain? And I don't even know if I want to climb the next mountain. And yet there are mountains. and And I knew that this church needed to have leadership that thought about it every day. And there was a fresh vision, so that was the beginning for me. So when you admitted that,
0: what you just said was super vulnerable, because our American church culture doesn't celebrate that. We celebrate charging ahead, you know, being the warrior, being the superhero all the time. How hard was it for you to say to your church, "I'm not the one leading the fight anymore. I'm not going to raise the banner in front of you." Yeah, uh, that had to be so difficult. Can you unpack that a little bit more. I want to. I, I think when you said that, I went. I need to hear that personally. If nothing else, would you please tell me one more time how you had the courage to say that? Yeah. When so many factors are
1: playing against you, so many cultural factors are telling you that that's foolish. Well, you know, um, I study church a lot, and the typical church has an S-curve, you know, just like business has an S-curve. And uh, the life uh, kind of expectancy of productivity uh, in a church is about 15 years Uh, Some stretch it to 20 to 25, Uh, and it relates to the founding pastor or the pastor that kind of, you know, has been a part of the acceleration of the church, and, um, um, and so we were, we are coming into 25 years, and I was seeing the church for the first time in my life, getting older with me, I mean, we had young people too, but just, I could see it, and, um, And I study lists of great churches, and, you know, you see a list of a church that was a great church in the 90s or the 70s, 60s, 2000s, and very seldom do you ever see one church span more than a decade or two. And I thought, God, why can't we be a church that... that is multi-generational and can span many decades of effective ministry in the city. And why can't we be a church where the young people, the young guys with a vision, don't have to leave and go down the block, but maybe they could do it there? And um, you know, I thought a lot of that through, and uh, and then I, I talked honestly. I came to Colorado and talked to a, a life coach here just about what I was feeling, and he talked to me about the various stages of a man's life in Jewish culture and that at a certain stage they became rather than the warrior they were the wise sage that the warriors came to and I thought I could do that and so um, I
0: get that right you need to write that down by the way warriors versus wise sages that was dynamic that is I don't want to rush past that phrase you just gave us that's a Selah moment for me to say do you know the difference when that happens in your life? Mm-hmm. You realize warrior versus wise sage, and that that was that was powerful. Uh, can you tell us quickly what the difference is? Uh, well,
1: it was, and for me, it was like one of the things I think um, some some pastors stay too long. We just do. I've just seen it. I'm sure Tommy has seen it too, and I think that there are two reasons. Uh, one is, what am I going to do now? And two is, how am I going to live now? And I think that we need to put a lot of thought in as church leaders on helping honor the men who have gone before so that they don't have to come to the end of their life wondering, how am I going to, financially, how am I going to exist? That's a whole conversation. But the what am I going to do was a big one for me. What am I going to do? And and um you know the the uh, I, Caleb remember Caleb Caleb you know he's he's approaching this mountain he came in at 40 he was willing to do it all man he's 30s and 40s he's ready to go and then at 80 when everybody else all the unbelievers have died off he comes to Joshua and he says give me this mountain and he says i'm as young at 80 as i was at 40 now he's self delusional okay <laughs> But watch this, watch this, watch this. He says, I can take that mountain. Well, when he was 40, he'd have gone up and whipped every giant on that mountain. Yeah. But if you look at his plan, he said, if, is there a young man around here? If you whip that giant, you can have my daughter. And so he, he went more from his brawn to his brain, okay? Yep. He could still but, take the mountain. But he, just, probably still,
2: he probably still could have whipped him He at could 80. have,
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he could have.
2: I can relate to that. He David. could have.
1: Yeah, <laughs> But I think Caleb went to where I feel like some of us go, that's right. and that's that we, our fingerprints are all over ministry, but it's not directly on people. It's directly on leaders now yeah. as, we, as we become a wise sage, a wise counsel to the warriors who are taking the mountain.
0: That's so good. That's so good, Greg. I mean, that, that's really, really good. Uh, Pastor Tommy? Uh, You're 80. I think you could whip the Giants, by the way. (laughs) You're headed to 80. How did you know?
2: Well, First of all, before I address that, I want to say that uh, when I first started ministry, my dad said to me, son, when you pick a man to pattern your life after, do not pick a genius because you're not a genius. I said, thanks, Dad. Amen. He said, pick somebody who has character because everybody can have character. And that's why I love you so much, can follow men like you. Because this church that we've all watched all over the nation has been through battle after battle we can never dream. And it's greater than it's ever before. And it's because it's led by men of character.
1: Yeah, so good.
2: Now, some change, mine was a little different. Some change is called force change. And I believe that God uses that too. Here I was going along pastoring now. I pastored for 63 years. I preached over 19,000 sermons in my lifetime. I have 19 million miles just on American Airlines besides the other. So I've been around, done a lot of things. So I was sitting on the front row of the church one day when I found out when I had pneumonia that I had leaky heart valve. Now, it wasn't that I had heart trouble but a leaky valve, which meant that to take my heart out and repair it and then start it and stick it back in. And thank God it started again when they put it back in. (laughs) So when I recovered, I came back to the church, and I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm getting well. I'm getting healthy. I'm feeling better than I did before. I'm working out. I'm running. I'm doing everything more than ever before. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I've got to get a dream. And that first Sunday morning, I walked up and I said, and by the way, while I was recovering, my son, the church began to grow. He was put into force change himself. And it began to grow. It began to grow. i tell you another thing I learned. I've learned that really you can't promote your son alone to be the leader. Mm-hmm. That has to come from the people right. of the church. Yeah. Right. They have to raise that man up on their shoulder and say, this is the man we want. And I saw during that three or four months that I was out, the church grew. It wasn't that we were down. We were growing anyway. But it had greater growth. God began to bless. And I realized that this was the time. But when I sat on that front row, I said to myself, I always preach that you should never catch up with your dream. And I've got to get another dream. I can sit here on the front row healthy with more strength than I've ever had. So God gave me a new dream. You know what my dream is? The dream for the rest of my life, for the finish line. And by the way, this is a dream that can take me till I get to heaven. My dream is to help other people reach their dreams. So now when I go last year, 10 different countries and preached over 70 different churches last year, that's what it's about. I go in there to help that pastor. That's why I'm here today. This is part of the vision God is to help you reach your dreams. So I have learned that You just have to let your son. You can give your sons the opportunity, but you cannot make them successful. They have to have the gift. I came from a pastor's son. My sons come from ours. Their children will probably be pastors because they're already talking that way. But we can give them the chance, but they have to produce.
0: Matthew and Luke, uh, both both your boys. I know them more than I know your daughter, but good men. How did you know... Stay on this topic just for a moment with me, Pastor Tommy. How did you know Luke was ready? How did you know? What did you see in him more than just the church, you know, loving him and more than just the church saying yes to him? What did you see internally, like privately uh, in his life? Uh, What are some of the things that you looked at and said, he's ready? He's ready. What, What were some of the measuring points?
2: Well, as a boy, I watched him. He was always a leader. At school, everybody wanted to be around him. You know, he was a shortstop on the baseball team and the leading almost one state championship in golf and people just look to him always have a crowd around him and uh, he, he left his last church and said I'm just going to come and be in the congregation as God leads me my next work but every day he came down and helped me at the church and the deacon said pastor we got to hire Luke he's really making a difference just by volunteering down the church everything he did began to prosper you know One of the ways you can tell if a guy can succeed is, do people follow him? If they follow him before he's the leader, then they'll follow him when he's the leader. Mm -hmm. And and I saw everything that he did, it exploded. I I could tell he was an organizational genius type of guy. And I knew by the looks of the people and by the rallied around him that God had his hand upon his life.
0: All right, you, let's stop here just for a moment because we have a lot of young leaders here today. They're in their 20s and 30s, and they don't have a leadership position. Yeah. Can, you, but can you tell me, both of you guys, as you watched your boys grow up into men, I'm, I believe this, that the reason most leaders fail is because they never learn to follow. Uh-huh. And, and unless you learn how to follow, it was a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm, I remember the Lord telling me to follow Robert Morris. So, and I left, uh, I was a senior pastor of a church, and I left that to go be on staff to serve another guy. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to me when in, my, in my 30s. He said, Brady, I'm going to teach you to follow before I teach you to lead. Can you, can you touch on that just for a moment? Your, your sons both did that. Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing this up because I know Josh and I know Luke. Yeah. Uh, and both your boys learned how to follow before they learned how to lead.
2: Yeah, I, I would like to approach that a little bit different because now I am... The follower. Mm -hmm. I sit on the front row and I cheer and I preach Mm -hmm. with him. I I go all three of his services that he preaches on Sunday. I call him after the service and tell him how great that he did. Sometime I have to ask God to forgive me for lying. Amen. (laughs) Thank God. But the Lord said, I understand. (laughs) Praise God. All right. And if you'll excuse me, I take great pride in that now I am assisting my sons now when I go out to preach all over the country, I preach at the greatest venues in the land. I'm Joyce Meyer's pastor and and uh, and the Hillsong uh, Brian Houston's pastor and different ones. And I have a wonderful, greatest time in my life that I'm experiencing right now. But I pride myself on being that front row. I never give suggestions unless he asks for them. He's the man. I let him make mistakes because he is the man, and he will always want you there if you will help them and affirm them and not give them advice all the time. He's now the visionary. He's taken the church to greater heights than I ever do. But when I was a boy in my dad's church, I served him. I played the organ. I played the piano. I ran his bus routes. I did everything that I could to help my dad. So I believe that if you you can only be a great leader if you're a good follower, because you learn how the follower feels. I used to be the bus director. Now I know how to approach the bus director. I know what he goes through every week. He has that fear that someone's going to call him up and say, well, I'm resigning from my bus route. And that breaks his heart. So when you're a follower, you know how the rest of the followers feel. About every ministry I had in my church at one time, I was the head of that ministry. So I understand how it works.
1: I... Um Joshua started as an intern in uh, the student ministry. And one of the rules was that you couldn't date the girls in the student ministry. And he was one year out of high school when he did that. He's actually going to college. And he started dating one of the girls. And he got fired by the youth pastor, who then got fired later. But, um <laughs> He literally got fired by the youth pastor because he violated that rule. And Josh likes to say that now he got the job and the girl because they got married ultimately. Uh, but he went to work for uh, Outback Steakhouse, which was really good. He became a manager there, learned some, some principles. And then uh, uh, we, we pulled him back into the church, and he went through the whole thing. I mean, he went through, you know, uh, just about every level. Of ministry, And when it started to look like, when we began to have conversations at a leadership team level of who's next, what are we going to do as I begin to share some of my feelings um, for my next dream, which I have a big dream. I want to plant 2,000 churches, and uh, we're at 606 right now. And uh, that excites me and enthuses me, and I want to live through church planters. But as we began to look at that, we began to say, what opportunities does Josh need to have in order to be ready to take the, the big chair? And so we, he promoted through the organization. I want to say this, though. Now, I've got to be real transparent on this. When it came time for him to be the lead pastor and me to be the founding pastor, I honestly wasn't sure he was ready. In my heart, I wasn't sure. Sure. Character, leadership, all of that. But this is a big platform, and he didn't build this platform. And I wasn't sure. I talked to his mother about that. I thought, you know what? You're never 100% sure. Uh, That's right. I, I'm going to go with the preponderance of the evidence and trust that God can do it. And here's something that happened. When Josh, It, happened, it it's just a mystical thing. It's a spiritual thing. When he... Got the mantle of leadership.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Something changed.
2: That's exactly right.
1: There was a mantle of leadership that yeah. came on him. He's now my pastor yeah. too, and my my dad is there too. So we got three generations of us on the front row, just cheering him on, you know. But the, and, and and his older brother works for him, which your is dad's weird. a pastor. Both yeah. of you are pastors' yeah. kids. Right. Both of you. Right. But there was a mantle of leadership. He wasn't ready, but God made him ready. And, uh, you know, he would say he was ready, but I wasn't sure, but there was a mantle of leadership okay, that, and that's down. where yeah. I think, go
0: ahead, uh, pastor Tommy, talk about the, the fear of the unknown. I mean, you sure. had to have some anxious moments too with Luke, oh, right?
2: You know, you do after you've been there for 37 years, 36 years, pastoring that church, see it go from 200 to thousands of people, uh, it was hard to let him make the decision. I remember when he said, I want to change the name of the church from Phoenix First Assembly. Well, we we were 93 years old. Our church is 93. And we're really defining the odds you talked about mm-hmm. because most churches do not remain great very, very long. And our church is known all over the world. You know, it's Phoenix First, we've had that pastor school for years. We've had about 200,000 pastors that have come through our pastor school. And I thought, Mm. But you know what? I let him make the change. What's well, so it now? what did you tell, tell now us about that? Now it's called Dream City Church.
1: Wow. And
2: uh, his dream my dream was to build a great church. I had no dream for the small campus churches. I just believed instead of dividing in Concord, just keep piling them on. Amen, thank God. <laughs> but his dream was to have campus churches. So with my influence over a lot of the pastors in town, some of them got scourged. They built great churches, great venues. I mean, $60 million one of them was, and multiple campuses. And uh, when I begin to talk to them, when they begin to fail, they said, would you take over our church? And God used me, because I knew those fellas to do that. So you've got to let them even fail. Mm-hmm. Let them fail, because sometimes you only learn in failure.
0: Now, when did you make the change? I, I, I guess I was, uh, didn't hear about that. But when, the, when did you change the name, Dream City Church?
2: We changed it about a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. And the church membership, it didn't bother them. Yeah. I'm surprised people are open to change. However, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, matter of fact, Luke just changed it and told the congregation. And they said, amen. Thank God. So. love that.
0: <laughs> I want to switch gears here. Let's switch gears. Here we are uh, at the end of September 2016, and we're in the middle of a very divisive political season, uh, maybe the most divisive that I've ever experienced in my adult life. And because we're in Colorado, a uh, swing state, uh, we have, I know for myself, and I can imagine what it's like for other pastors, but there's a tremendous amount of pressure on pastors, almost, I'm say this to the strength that I feel it, I feel bullied sometimes, about politics. And I don't respond well to being bullied, but um, I feel bullied about politics, about what I should and should not say about the political season that we're in. How do you guys, uh, both, this is not your first election either. In in South Carolina, it's a very difficult state. You're in Arizona, another uh, contentious state that's political. Uh, What would you say to us as pastors? about handling the political season. What what should and should we not say out of the pulpit as it we'll go with you first, Tommy, uh, Pastor Tommy. What is what do you what have you learned over the years about politics in the local church?
2: Well I've learned one thing now that you cannot be as bold as you one time were, and that bothers me greatly. And I'm gonna tell you why, because on some of these issues, the universities are speaking out in the other direction, the Playboy philosophy is speaking out, the news media is speaking out. President speaking out, everybody speaking out, and they used to get direction from the church, and the church remained silent. And there is no voice out there to speak out, and it breaks my heart that the church somewhat is becoming politically correct because we will lose our text if we do that. I remember 15 years ago, I used to announce every year that I would preach on the subject, the men I want for president, and I put a picture of each candidate. In the newspaper. Well, we packed the place out. Of course, this is why I preach. The man I want for president is a man who will balance the budget. The man I want for president is a person I went right down, you know, from abortion right on down the issues. I never named the man's name, but I just mentioned where we stood. And I know that's what we have to do. We have to talk about the issues, of where we stand on the issues. And I think that pretty well defines where we really are. Bonhoeffer
0: said that we should preach with a Bible in one hand and in a newspaper in the other. <laughs> that He, he says that, that current events are current for a reason, that, that people are thinking about I them. That, and that we should apply the yeah. scriptures to current events. That we should help people in our congregation navigate the public issues of the day. Is that what you're saying? This is what you're talking about.
2: Exactly what I'm saying. Uh, and You know, we have a different world that we live in. You take the Dream Center. I would say with that culture over there, that uh, 90% of them would probably be on the Democratic side. I would say Phoenix First Assembly would probably be 90% on the conservative side. So we don't want to drive the people away by taking a stand for the candidate. But I, I see a church, as time goes by, they they, they they adopt the issues that are biblical that the pastor has. And I think we can make it very plain where we should stand in this election. I'll be honest with you. This election, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah. You know, when you're my age, if say you're not you nice want. to you, if you're not oh, nice yeah, to me, I'll put on my Bermuda shorts and go to Palm Beach, Florida, and play shuffleboard. Amen. <laughs> but this is the first election in my life I can remember that we don't have anybody that we can vote for. It's terrible. The only thing that hangs out there is probably the Supreme Court that would that would. Put us in one direction or the other. If we have elected president, either side will probably be the worst moral president in the history of America. And folks, that is the product of our society. They are just a product of what we have in this world today. They're electing the kind of people that we have in this country. I'm about ready to preach now. We need a revival that will bring us back to God so we'll know how to vote.
0: God, I love that. And you can say anything you want, by the way. You've earned that right.
2: That's my story and I'm sticking to it.
0: <laughs> well, politics, I, don't, I personally believe politicians aren't necessarily leaders, they're more marketing uh, geniuses. And so they are reflecting us, they, that's how they get elected. You know, they, they may learn to lead along the way, but they don't get elected because they're leaders, they get elected because they know how to speak to the culture, and they, they, you're exactly right.
2: I just want to add real quick one thing the church also is becoming very politically correct. We're kind of being forced into it by the world. And you know, that bothers me an awful, awful lot. That the men of God used to stand up, and I mean that expose sin and so forth and so on. And while I I really believe that the church should be relevant, oh, I was so thrilled when the church became relevant. The music that we have, and, and when people walk in, they're not turned off. And all my life I've spent trying to encourage churches not to turn people off before they get to the message. Most churches years ago had activity take place in the church that scared people off before they give the altar call. But I also have a fear now, if we don't watch it, we'll be so relevant that we have no stand at all.
0: I love that. Pastor Pastor Greg, I love that, I agree. Pastor Greg?
1: Wow. Um, I'm proud to be an American uh, thankful, I was born here. Was, grew up in Colorado. My goodness, it doesn't get better than that. I'm a Bronco fan, and uh, I happen to live in South. I'm a missionary in South Carolina right now. <laughs> but my primary allegiance is to another kingdom. And so America will come and go, but Jesus won't. And so I have to always. Keep that in mind, that um, I remember one day I I had the opportunity to pray at the opening of Congress in Washington. Nobody was there. I mean, you know, it was like, it was kind of cool because that's where they do the, the whatever, the State of the Union speech and all of that, but there were only a handful of guys up that early, those that wanted to talk to the Speaker of the House. It was an honor to do it, and I grabbed one of my buddies from Denver who lived in Washington at that time, and we're walking around the halls of Congress, and I said, who do you think the most powerful person here is today? And he said, well, he said, "Um, I don't know if the president, and I said, no, it's not him. He said, well, the Speaker of the House, we're going to meet the Speaker of the House. I said, no, it's not him. We went down through a list, and I said, he said, who is it? I said, it's us. Because we're not in anybody's pocket. And when we get in a politician's pocket, then we lose our power. Right. We are to be prophets and speak prophetically to the leaders of our country. And so I, I have chosen that route. Uh, if you want to have a, a mono-ethnic church, go ahead and talk about Republican politics. Okay? Or Democrat politics. Um, um, if if you're going to because 90% of people of color are going to vote for Hillary Clinton, okay, maybe 85. If it's 85, Trump wins. But 90% are going to vote for Hillary Clinton, and 90% of evangelicals who go to church at least once a week are going to vote for Trump. It's going to happen. Um, and and so if you if you if you if you want a, a single mono-ethnic church. Jump on one of those bandwagons or the other. It takes wisdom to lead, incredible wisdom to lead in this. I wish we didn't have elections. I mean, I hate that. I mean, I like that we have elections, but let's just skip through this, you know. But we've got to lead in the values that we teach, and, and we've got to instruct our people to vote from their values and know that everybody won't have the same values as you do. Um, uh, I, the Lord has has allowed me to, and Tommy has done this too, it, to a greater degree than I have, but uh, to be able to speak into some of the leading politicians in America behind the scenes. Uh, one of the candidates, I won't mention which one, but he lives in New York. Both of them do, I guess, but invited me to be on his advisory committee, and I I went talked to him. I got to be in the, whatever you call it, the Uh, boardroom, you're fired, all that kind of stuff. And um, before I did, I went and talked to the Democrats in my church. I went and talked to some of the African-American leadership, AME leadership in our town. And I said, David uh, served a king that he didn't necessarily approve of, uh, and I'm going to go and listen. And they said, you should, you should, you should. I turned it down because I didn't think I would have influence. I just thought it was a political kind of a, a stamp thing for my own personal deal. Uh, but th- um, this is, I'm telling you what, I think it's harder and harder and harder to be a pastor these days than it was when we got started. I think it, i think it is, and, and Pastor Tommy talked about some of those things. And I think that we need to be men and women of integrity, men and women that are not afraid to approach the issues. And I also think you need to be wise during election seasons. Now, that being said, our Nick, we're having Dave Ramsey this weekend, so we'll have a huge crowd. And then we're announcing our upcoming series called POTUS, P-O-T-U-S. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a leadership series, kind of do kind of what you said first time when elected. We'll have these leadership qualities, but we're gonna gear it toward a president of the US. That you become a good leader and, and that will multiply itself. So anyway, that that's where it is yeah. with
0: me. I love what you said—that we are prophetics to the, pro- prophets to the entire political system, not pawns to a party. That's right. Uh, my wife and I made a choice uh, a, a few years ago to be unaffiliated. Uh, we're not—I'm not affiliated with a, any, either the party for that very reason. And I felt like it put me in a neutral spot uh, as an unaffiliated voter, an independent voter, that I could speak candidly to either party and be a prophet to the political system, not only in my mm-hmm. local community, which is where most of us live our lives. Um, a lot, And I think, let me just point this out, a lot of us get fixated on national politics when most of our lives are lived with local politics. Local. And um, if you're not even interested in meeting with your mayor, then be quiet about the presidential election. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't think you've earned the speak. right yeah. to speak about national issues if you're right. not involved with local issues. Uh, so I know the sheriff. The sheriff attends here, you know, from time to time. I know the mayor. I have his cell phone number. I, I know who my county commissioner. I know who they are. I meet with them. Um, I baptized my county commissioner. I led him to the Lord and baptized him here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know these people, um, and so it starts local. And uh, I, I just want to encourage pastors: get to know your mayor. Go to a city council meeting. Go to the uh, go to the county commissioner meetings. Yeah. Go. Take them to lunch. They want to hear from us. Sure. They want to go to lunch with you. They'll go to lunch with you if you'll buy. They'll, they'll, especially, you know, they're politicians, <laughs> you know. But
2: uh. well, you you know Brady too. I think when they visit our church, you know McCain and all of them. Uh, Pence is coming in about a week to our church. He wants to come to the service. What we will do is say we're thrilled to have so and so here today. Stand up. Let's give him applause. We always thrill when. People from either side of the aisle come and visit our church. Thank you for being a part of And you would
0: do that if, if Hillary Clinton
2: came or I anybody else? Yeah, exactly. I'd do whatever. Uh, George Bush visited the Dream Center. Right. And it was a great moment for us. You know, he gave a testimony how God delivered him from drugs. And, and uh, Huckleby yeah. off election year, came and preached at our church. So, uh, you know, you can, I remember uh, trying to think, Alan Keyes. He came and spoke. Our church touched our church greatly. So I think it's nice to honor them, give honor to what honors do without taking a stand.
0: I encourage my congregation to get involved in politics, and the way I do that is I... I I had to say it from the pulpit. I said, listen, there's some of you that need to run for your school board. Right. You need to run for city council. We need godly county commissioners. We need we need people in our state house who love God. So get involved. So I encourage our congregation to mm-hmm. run. And when they run, from time to time, I'll point them out and say, hey, we're so proud of New Lifer XYZ who is running. Thank you so much for saying yes to the call. So I, I'm, I, I encourage our people to get involved without having to grant them personal endorsements. But I'm we, encouraging uh, them.
1: We do the same thing. We have the uh, U.S. Senator Tim Scott. Um, I've been meeting with him uh, once a month for twenty years. He's the real deal. Um, We've got the governor, the um, the representative, the lieutenant governor. We've got all kind of people that that come to the church. And what I do is I meet with them behind the scenes and jerk their chain when they are off in an area that I don't think is. I'm their pastor. I love them and afflict them every once in a while. (laughs) Well, that's
0: what prophets do, by the way. They make you a little uncomfortable. Okay, I want to talk about something else real quick. Um, Not quickly, but you guys, you just mentioned 19,000 sermons. That's amazing. Uh, That much content and that much uh, speaking. And what's probably lost on everybody is that's not 19,000 sermons. You probably preach those sermons multiple times on a weekend. So you preach three or four times that many sermons probably. What, have you, what would you say, we've got a lot of young leaders out here that preach and teach. What have you learned about preaching and teaching? I know it's a big question, but what are just a few things uh, for myself and for the rest of us, what have you learned about preaching and teaching that you hope that this next generation really catches and locks in with? Yeah, there's so much
2: you could say about that, but I have a little series that I have on preaching called Preaching with a Warm Heart, and I believe one of the keys to delivering a great message it's not as much the content needs to be great, but it's more or less how you say what you're saying that gets through the people. I have a little preparation that I call preparing your heart. I found out that if we prepare our heart, we could do anything better. When you need to be angry, you could be angrier without sinning if you'd prepare your heart. If you need to be loving, you could be more loving if you'd take a moment before that moment to prepare your heart. Many of you noticed me looking around during the worship at you turning and looking. You know what I was doing? Preparing my heart. I begin to think about some of you young men that are starting these churches. I thought a lot of you that came and you're battling board members in your church and you don't know how you're going to take all this vision that this man has instilled in your heart back. Man, I fell in love with you before I came up here. So every Sunday morning, I get in my car and I either drive down through our buses will run and pick up hurting people and I think of what it would be like with that little boy that doesn't have a daddy. I had the greatest daddy in the world. I can't even imagine what it would be like not to have a daddy and I fall in love with that little boy. Sometime I I drive out to the Fluent area in Scottsdale and I look at those multi-million dollar homes and I think of the people that will come to our church from there today that do they really know if people love them or not or do they love them because of their money Trying to get something out of them, and then I go and watch people get out of their car. I got a little perch that I can look from my office down and see people getting out of their cars, and <laughs> I can tell that been some husbands and wives. You could tell been fussing on the way to church, and they were <laughs> hurrying to get in. You know, trying to get the kids off, and I watch them. And when I get up there to preach, my heart is so full that it just it just you take a bath, and it just washes over the audience. So I think one of the greatest things about our sermon presentation is we prepare our hearts. Wow, before that we is
0: so good. That is so good. Um, a, a few of us were just with Eugene Peterson a few weeks ago. We got to spend a couple of days with him. And Eugene, in some of his writings, said something that is so exactly what you just said. He said, never prepare a sermon until you walk through your neighborhood. Don't prepare sermons unless you walk through your neighborhood and meet your neighbors. And that's so beautiful. It's exactly what uh, Eugene would say. And I, it so resonates. But it, with our younger generation, uh, we don't live in neighborhoods necessarily anymore. We don't have as much physical contact. In fact, we've kind of uh, orchestrated our culture to be more digital than relational. And I think it's hurting our preaching. I think it's hurt some of our sermons because we have a digital relationship with people but not a physical relational uh, context for which we preach—that's so good, Pastor Tommy. That's a, such a. I hope you wrote that down. I, I'm, I'm, that really resonated with me so powerfully. Pastor Greg, you've preached a long, long time yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of sermons, multiple times on the weekend. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about preaching and teaching that you'd well, want us
1: to know? This guy's the greatest in the world. I'm telling you what. I Almost, I was going to say Brady just skip me on this one because. <laughs> This You're guy, a great preacher, Greg. This guy is the best, and what he had to say about loving people—he's always looking for a new friend, looking for somebody to love. And I think, you know, I think that we gotta be that as pastors. We gotta love. You know, somebody said ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people, and we all understand that. Yeah. We uh, we have that person in our church, okay? We all understand that, but it's the people. It's the people. It's the people. I w- I would say just a couple of things. One is the same thing. I one thing I'll do is. You know, we have multiple services in the 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 original campus there where, where we're gonna preach. And I'll go out there when nobody's around and sit in a chair and say, Lord, help me to feel the story of the five people who will sit this in this chair during the five services that are gonna be. And I don't get a picture of the people, but I get a sense of real people are gonna be here with real stories and, and all of that. Um, Ernie Moen, who was a great preacher back in the day, told me one time I asked him what's a good sermon. He said, Make them, uh, make them laugh, make them cry, give them Jesus. And that's still been a theme for me. If I can touch the emotions, if we well, can just let's laugh together, let's cry together, and let's bring Jesus into this thing, it's probably going to be a pretty good sermon.
2: And by the way, this man right here, and the reason why he started this unbelievable network, like Northern Work, work in America, is he's an affirmer. Every time I'm around, he makes me feel like that I'm the Pope. Amen. It's thank God. And uh, he's
1: a little higher it, than the Pope. But it's it's so a, the
2: Pope talks. It's to the him. loving heart again.
0: One last question for the two of you, and then we're going to uh, transition. But one la- and then we'll come back up for some sure. Q and A. We got a long time to do Q and A today, which I'm really excited about. By the way, if you have your app, get the questions ready. Go ahead and send them in if you want. If if something we're talking about uh, stirs up a question like you want us to go back and unpack something we said, then feel free to ask the question. Everything's uh, fair game. Uh, Here's the last question. What makes you hopeful for the American church right now? I know it's easy to criticize. It's easy to point out the church's flaws right now. but what makes you hopeful? You guys are looking back now. You're looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, you got a lot of windshield activity in front of you still, but you also have a lot of history. And when you look forward to this next generation, when you look forward to church 30 years from now, 20 years from now, in the, in the American church, what makes
1: you hopeful?
2: You want to start?
1: Sure, I'll, I'll start on this one. You clean up any heresy that <laughs> is there. I am so encouraged by the quality of young leaders that are coming up. oh my goodness part of what part of what I get to do is cheer on young leaders and I am so encouraged really by the, the passion, the fire, the desire uh, why not here you know uh, nothing's impossible now I'm concerned I, I really am concerned, about the pressure uh, uh that from social media and what have you and that's a whole nother talk but uh I'm real concerned about that and I'm on a hunt right now of how can we do how can we help young guys do ministry in a healthy way for them because it I mean I was at a round table um of 15 guys that are doing great uh not very long ago and uh uh, over 50% of them were on anxiety medication for panic attacks. Over 50%. Wow. And so I thought, well, these are the sickies. Let's go to the next group. And the next group was, were, were guys that had even larger churches. And you go, wow, they're doing great. Same numbers. Mm. And dealing with discouragement. And, and I think social media is, is one of the feeders of that. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. but So that's the other side. That's another question. But I'm I, I, I'm Amen. hopeful because young guys are building greater churches than we've ever seen. Right. And, uh, and uh, uh, Jesus said, I will build my church. Yeah. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, I think the greatest churches in America are yet to be built. Uh, I really do. I believe that. Some of them are right here in this room. That's right.
2: Well, I'd like to say a word about that. My generation, this is how we operated. would stand up behind the pulpit, the man of God, myself in that case, and would tell the church what God had impressed upon their heart, the vision that God had for this church, and articulated to that big audience and said, let's go get them. And the church said, come on, let's go. Lead the charge. Now it's a different generation. This generation, the pastor goes to a group of small little group of people and teams and so when luke took over he invited me to be a part of those meetings and lord have mercy there's a little girl that worked in the media that could hardly speak english from mexico and she was telling the church how it ought to operate and i thought to myself i could have solved this in five minutes if they just let me do it amen (laughs) however the church now is running better than it's ever before. The parking lot is a different ballgame. The ushers are a different ballgame. Every part of it, because now the people of the church have taken on the church, and they're help pastoring the church. And so it is a new way of doing church, but it's a good way of doing church. And I'm so inspired with the young people. You know, we get up, and we used to have to convince people why they ought to go out and, and help the poor and reach out to hurting people. Now, the young people and I get up and say, You need to get out and do social work. You need to love people so you can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to convince them anymore. They're saying, Point us in the direction. How can we do it? Get us going. With, it's a generation that is full of activists that God is using in a great way. And I want to say this because I know this meeting and this session was about how to last long in the ministry how to enjoy it. Folks, you're looking at the happiest old man that you've ever seen in your life. I can hardly wait to get up in the morning. I kind of relate with Joel Namath. He said he could hardly wait to get up in the morning to see how good looking he got during the night. I can relate to that. Amen. Thank God. But every day is an exciting adventure. And you'll say, Pastor, how did you keep that for 63 years? And I'm asked this question and this will probably, probably well end this session, but I've often been asked, Pastor Barnett, if you could live your life over again. Remember, I started at 16 as an evangelist, okay? What would you have done different? Is there anything? And uh, Brady, that was kind of hard for me to answer because General MacArthur said, you can tell if a man is young or old, whether he's looking at the sunrise or the sunset. I'm a sunrise man. So I had to really think about And then I thought, yeah, there are two things. If I had to live my life over again, that I'd done different. I would have dreamed bigger dreams, and I would take in different risks. And you'll say, Pastor, I seem strange. You know, when you look at Tommy Barnett, you're not looking at an original. I know young preachers say, I'm going to be an original, whether it kills me or not. No, when you look at Tommy Barnett, You're seeing a little bit of Dr. Cho, who I spent time with teaching me how to bling and think big. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of Oral Roberts that used to come and spend a week with me every year in he poor faith. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of Herschel Barnett, my dad. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you look at the old fundamental Baptist preacher, Jack Hiles, mean as the Dickens who ate babies for a little breakfast, amen. They all poured something into my life. I am not a self-made man. So, I've taken risk. But the reason I say I would have taken bigger risk, I used to preach. I used to preach that you had to see it before you got it. That's a great principle. I still believe in it, but it's not completely true. Because anything I dream. God did greater than I dreamed. Every risk I took, I went beyond. And if I get to heaven, probably one regret I'll have. If we have regrets in heaven, I wish that I'd taken bigger grip, got out on the limb, and believed God for more. For he's able to exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or we can think, Because there's a power that's working within us.
0: Amen. And with that, we all said, amen. Amen.